So, Andrea, I'm really glad that we made this happen today. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So let's see. So Holy Toledo, everybody. I've got Andrea Stewart joining me today, and I am I'm just so glad we made this happen. Thank you very much for taking some time out of your day. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have fun. It's an, almost a full hour ahead of us. Why don't you really quickly tell our listeners just a little bit about you? Okay, so um, my name is Andrea Stewart, and um, I am the author of The Bone Shard Daughter. It's the first in the Drowning Empire trilogy. It's an epic fantasy that's in an Asian-inspired setting. For me personally, I've been writing since I was a kid, basically as uh, soon as my dad would let me have access to his computer. I was the kind of kid that went to the library every weekend uh, and checked out a bunch of books, read them all, and then got some more the next weekend. It's taken me quite some time to make this happen. I wrote six manuscripts before The Bone Shard Daughter uh, was picked up. So those are all trunks at this point. But I'm very glad that this one got picked up. Wasn't there like, like you were lucky enough to be one of those authors who actually sort of, was there a battle over your book or did someone just want it so much that they offered a whole bunch really fast? Oh, it was, it was extremely exciting for me, especially since I'd had two books previously go out on submission and not sell. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this one, like I started getting offers, um, like I think it was within two weeks of it going out. Um, So then, you know, my agent went and talked to everybody else. (laughs) And uh, so Orbit actually came in with a preempt offer. Uh, and we had to decide, were we going to take that or were we going to go to auction? And I love Orbit. I think they're an amazing publisher. Um, mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed their books and their covers. So I was like, okay, <laughs> let's just do this. Let's just take this offer, especially since I'm pretty risk averse. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they basically, what? They were like, how, how exactly is there less risk in taking their preempt offer compared to going to auction? Explain that in a little bit more detail. Okay, so uh, basically the preempt, they're offering you um, a bunch of money to take their offer and not consider anybody else's offer. Mm-hmm. Um, with the auction, uh, it opens that, it up to more publishers. However, you don't know if you're going to get up to that same level as the preempt or not. Right. So there's a little bit more of a question of where it's going to end up with an auction. What's that called? Uh, um, a right of first refusal in a way. They're, the preempt is sort of like, we just don't want to have to worry about anyone else. You just take it as it is. Right. I mean, there's also the chance of it going the other way, but sure. yeah, I, they made me an excellent offer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is so cool though. I mean, everyone loves to know a little bit more about what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I was looking for stories like <laughs> when, as soon as my book got, went out on submission, I was like, what has everybody else been experiencing? But it really runs the gamut. I mean, I've had a book out, go out on submission, and I've heard like nothing, like just mm-hmm. radio silence. So, <laughs> so this is so exciting. You really are one of those examples of the perseverance factor, which basically plays into every successful writer's story. Oh yeah, I mean, I I know it's a little bit of survivorship bias at this point, but I really do think that you know you see those people that do succeed. A lot of times, it's after a lot of struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, with, with my friends, um, I have a group of friends that we are all writers. 
and they were getting book deals before me. Um, and I was constantly, you know, throwing another book at them, <laughs> but I was telling them, you know, okay, so this one got rejected and nobody wanted to buy it. But when I finally do get there, I'll have an inspiring story to tell. So <laughs> that's it. how I thought of it. It's like, okay, well, yeah. I'll get there eventually. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Oh, that's so perfect. I like it. So that was how you sort of kept your spirits up. Yeah, I mean, not to say that I didn't, you know, um, <laughs> fall into depressions and whine about it to people, but, <laughs> but you yes. know, like, I kept working, and I think that's what's important. Yeah, I was definitely not suggesting that you were somehow immune to human emotions, but the perseverance <laughs> piece, the resiliency piece, yeah. And I love this because what it really is saying to other people who are at the beginning or the middle of the writing career, and they haven't yet perhaps gotten the publication um, success that they're looking for, is it's really like just, just keep going. Don't give up on the dream. Yeah, I'm really glad that I didn't give up. Oh my gosh, right? Well, so am I. Okay, so back to the beginning of the Bone Shard Daughter. I'm just really curious because this book is out so we can talk about it. No spoilers are happening. How did you come up with the idea, and I'm going to ask you to explain it in your own words because you'll do a better job than I will, of the whole bone shirt thing? Well, that started from a couple of different ideas. So usually when I'm developing a world and developing a story, I'll kind of jot down things that I want to have in it or things that I'm finding interesting at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um so I knew that I wanted to write this empire. I knew that I wanted to have this emperor who had these constructs. Uh, the part with the bone shards came to me when I was out to lunch with some author friends of mine. And <laughs> my friend, Marina Lostetter, who's also like, she's just an amazing author. She writes fantasy and science fiction. Mm -hmm. She got this lunch at this food court and it didn't look that great. <laughs> And then she started eating it and she almost choked on this shard of bone that was in there. So oh. I started thinking like, oh, like what if bone shards were used for magic? And that kind of started <laughs> me on this whole thing about where would you take those shards from? And oh, he could use them to power the constructs and oh, it could be their life force that's powering the constructs. Um, but the constructs have to have some kind of command. So you're going to write the commands on there. So that's kind of how I developed that whole system. Oh, my God. I just, I knew it. I knew there was going to be some, you know, well, I was ordering ice cream. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's so fun listening to authors when you ask them questions. They're like, you know, I was at the coffee shop and then I was on a walk with my dog. And it's like, yeah, because, you know, there's this really great thing out there that I like to remind writers of. And for everyone out there who's listening right now, who has written and is going to write and is writing, um, is that it's not just when you've got that pen and paper or your hands over the keyboard, we are creating these stories in our minds, on our walks, when we wake up in the morning, while we're cooking soup for dinner, right? I mean, it's, it's constantly happening. And then we just rush over and jot it down somewhere. Yeah, I often describe it as brain work since I'm not actually sitting down at a computer and typing things up. I'm just kind of constantly keeping it going in my mind. Yeah, 
Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So how many notebooks do you have, do you think, that are like covered in all sorts of written ideas? You know, I don't have a notebook. Um, I'm one of those people that just jots it down in a Google Doc. <laughs> I I used to have a bunch of notebooks, but then I uh, couldn't keep track of them. Yep. So I'd, <laughs> I'd lose them or they'd be poorly organized, which is just or then you're having, my life. <laughs> or then you're having to transcribe them and you're like, no, this means I'm writing it twice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or I can't remember where I put it. So I, you know, I have my phone with me all the time and I've got Google Docs on there. So if I think of something, I can always go and write it down in there. And I've actually wrote a lot of my book on there uh, on my phone, just like waiting in line, right? <laughs> just in the car. Uh, it's amazing what we have for technology these days. Well, Very and, helpful. And especially the voice to text. So I was down in the desert. My uncle had a stroke, thankfully mild. He's doing very well. But after his daughters had sort of each one of them had come in to help out for like a month at a time, you know, they have jobs and children and commitments elsewhere. And so I went down to help out and it's way out in the desert, complete isolation, dirt roads everywhere. And so I would just walk for miles every day and I would make sure, I learned to make sure my phone was a complete battery before I left because as I was walking, I'd be like, well, I want to think about this aspect of my book. And then I would use the text thing and I would just be talking to my phone and it would catch like 98% of the words were correct. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have friends that do that with dictation. I have not tried it yet. I think I'm too embarrassed by the sound of my own voice. Oh, <laughs> so. well, you have a great voice. So get over that one because you save your thumbs, right? If you're going on your phone, like how long till our thumbs fall off? But, um, and then here's the cool thing. If it's your notes app on your phone, well, I, I have an iPhone and I have a MacBook. So they do talk to each other. But what's great is that it actually goes straight onto the computer. So then I don't have to like, you know, I can just basically pull it up and move it over to the chapter and then edit it. And it's a good option. I would look into it. Yeah, I know. I have friends that keep telling me how fast it is to do it that way. So I'll, I'll have to give it a try one of these days. Although clearly what you're doing is working great. So, okay, so a little bit more detail for people who haven't read the book yet and might be interested. Um, you, As you said, the genre is fantasy. Right. Right. And it is interesting how people do have, we were talking earlier that people can have some sort of Mm, stereotypic expectations from different genres. And I think I completely agree with you that any of the limiting stereotypes just really don't hold water. I feel like every genre just has so much to offer. So when you decided to create this story, you had to, as the writer, make the decision. You wanted it to be fantasy. What does that mean to you? And why did you make that specific decision? Well, for me, it's, it's what I've almost always written, ex like almost exclusively. Uh, well, except for that and science fiction, I write science fiction as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what I grew up reading. Um, that's what I gravitate toward the most. And I do have, you know, some things that I kind of want to convey that I feel like are more easily done in that genre. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it was a choice so much as just right. what I've always done. You weren't like, well, let's see, I can do, 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 do. And since you're like, I love fantasy, I read fantasy, I write fantasy, woo. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I really enjoy the world building aspect yes. and you don't really get that in a lot of other genres. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to me is, has been really fun. In some genres, it, it, it can be more research-based sometimes. You're trying to make sure that you're capturing detail. That's the thing people think sometimes will say, well, you know, it's fiction. You can just make up anything. I'm like, ah, you know, gravity <laughs> still has to sort of work. And maybe unless you have a special anti-gravity power, but, you know, yeah, you got to get it right if you get certain things wrong. And I bet in fantasy you can play around with it a little bit more. But, um, yeah. Well, you still have to be consistent. So that's what I'm finding out over three books is that I need to have a wiki (laughs) so that I can keep track of, of what's going on in my own world. Like where, where are these things located? How long are their seasons? Mm -hmm. Like what's, what's their government structure? And what are these people's names? I've forgotten their names again. So yeah, I right. think there's still the challenge of remaining internally consistent. How how are you tracking all of those details? This is something I actually really do like asking specifically my fantasy um, guest authors. Uh, I had Michelle Cigar West on um, a few months ago, and it was, you know, wow, talk about someone who's got like a lot of world building to keep track of. Yeah, you know, I have uh, a swim wiki. So there's a free service you can use online to build your own wiki. So I have that where I've got like my map and kind of like the islands listed out and what's unique about them and the names of people and historical figures. I, it sounds more organized than it is. Uh, (laughs) This is the third time you've made a joke about not being organized. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, it's one of those things where I'm constantly telling myself I'm going to be more organized and then I I attempt it and um, make it halfway there. Yeah. So at least I'm partially there. Um, But there have been a lot of times where I have um, forgotten something and I go to my wiki and then I realize that I've forgotten to add it to the wiki right so then I have to go and do a fun little like word search through my old documents like like, what was I talking about when I dropped this detail (laughs) so yeah yeah, um I mean it it works a lot better than not having one at all so no it is it is so I can only you know we think of like Game of Thrones or you know we think of different things out there that many people in society are aware of and they've enjoyed. And then when you're, when you're just a reader or a viewer, you know, you're like, oh, this is so awesome. This is so fun. And sometimes you can become like a real fan and then you want to get into the details. But when you're a writer or a creator and you're watching these things, I mean, the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, that's a lot of detail to keep track of, you know, or it's like, oh, how's he going to make sure that storyline stays straight? And, you know, because it's it, it's half the battle is not just writing the book, but it's, as you say, keeping the consistency of the story. Yes. So I, I've, I've found, too, that throughout the course of a trilogy, it gets more and more complicated. Yeah, I bet. Do you feel like you did enough advance planning for like you didn't uh, hamstring yourself or set yourself up for problems in book three? Oh, no, I, I feel like I did enough advanced planning. I mean, I didn't do a lot. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I don't tend to 
uh, outline every book beforehand, but mm-hmm. I knew the storyline mm-hmm. um, as far as uh, what the overarching plot was for the book two and book three. Yeah. So I didn't run into any troubles there. I think more what I run into trouble with is how do I weave all of these threads together so that I have the story that I want. So it looks the way that I want it to. Mm-hmm. And so it ends up in the right place. So right. I, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a struggle. I think the farther along that I've gotten, finally, I think untangled book three, it's just one of those things where I've had to do a lot of writing to figure out that this was not the way it was supposed to go. And <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back and uh, redo that. But, right. Here's my beautiful published book, which represents about four and a half percent of what I've written over the past four years. Right. Yeah. The other 95 and a half percent just didn't make it into the covers. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I wrote book uh, one over the course of three months and Mm. it didn't need a lot of revisions or too many edits. And I was kind of patting myself on the back for that. I'm like, oh, look, I know how to write a book now. Uh, (laughs) And then I got to book two, which was a completely different beast. And I ended up basically trashing about a third of it and having to rewrite that in addition to doing like all the edits and revisions. And then book three... I um, wrote a draft and trashed almost the entire thing. (laughs) Oh, oh, I totally get it. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, I feel like uh, part of the process. And me, I'm, I'm, I'm so optimistic. I'm like, well, next time, now I know how to write a book two and a book three. It's going to be easier, right? I mean, I don't know if that's true. I've been told it's maybe not true, which is terrifying. Uh, But, (laughs) but you know, at least at least you have the experience now it's like okay I know that it comes out all right in the end even if I'm struggling through it right 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 a little bit less less fear in the middle of the struggle and a little bit more confidence because you know you have a track record now I um my my novel the ghost lords which is the first of a four book series the first version was 210,000 words second version cut it down to 105,000 words third version decided to change plots and do a whole bunch of different stuff. Fourth version decided plot changes were horrific and went back to original version. Fifth version, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. I'm on version number six right now. And I'm, I'm just looking back at all of that. And I'm like, really, really not very much of version one made it into version six. It feels a little bit almost like playing a choose your own adventure at times where you're right you're writing this out and you're realizing, oh gosh, wait, this is the wrong fork that I took. I have to go back and rewrite this part. I'm going to take option B. Oop, no, that didn't work. I'm going to take option C. And of course they all, yeah. Oh, those books were so much fun, weren't they? They are. I have so many fond memories of them. Oh my gosh. So you were mentioning, I think like on the weekend or something, your dad would take you to the library or something and we use, we oftentimes didn't have a very reliable car when I was growing up. We used the car for the Christmas trip to drive up and visit the grandparents. And otherwise, we didn't use it. So the whole family yeah, had bikes. That's what we did. We usually rode our bicycles. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I did the same thing. Oh, my gosh. I would ride my bike everywhere I lived in this many places I lived. The first thing I did is I found out where the library was and where the used bookstore was. 
yeah, I, I still ride my bike a lot of places. Yeah, and then you get <laughs> never your, got over that. Thank goodness. And then you get your backpack and you fill it up with, oh my gosh, can you remember when libraries were, I don't know, you are a little younger than I am, but I remember libraries were these darkish because they didn't have too much lights on, quiet, silent places where the phone would have a little red square that would flash because of course you don't want it ringing. And if you actually said anything, the librarian really would come over and shush you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder, I don't think I'm probably that much younger than you because <laughs> I remember all of this stuff. Okay, then there we go. But wasn't that beautiful? I mean, now you go into every library I go into, the first thing you see is this massive collection of computers, which I'm not against, but it really does change the ambiance. It does. I'm, I'm, uh, I do feel like it's a little bit different now where I go in and I'm just using like a self like checkout. Right. It's like very little human interaction. It's a little bit funny. It's very different from when I was a kid. Yeah. I think the equalizing factor of having computers available to the public is brilliant, but I wonder what would have happened if the library system had been like, we're going to create two separate systems. You know, one is going to be focused on computer and other technologies, and the other will remain this beautiful, sacred space for books. Anyways, it just definitely seemed to have changed the ambiance of libraries, which is sad. It is, but I mean, they're still, they're still pretty great. I, I still, well, I don't right now because they're pandemic, but I used to go and meet up with my friends and do a little bit of writing and we could just grab the books off the shelves and do our research at the same time. It's very nice. So what have you done about um, writing groups? Um, it's some people really do just want to write on their own and not have anything else out there in the world, but some people really need their close community. How has that been for you? Oh, it's been wonderful. So I used to live in Sacramento and I joked, but not, it's like not really a joke. I joined like every writing group that was <laughs> available there. And I feel like uh, it was really helpful in meeting new people um, and meeting people that I could exchange work with. Right. Um, and I feel like, especially with writing and especially if you're wanting to be published, it's like a support group in a way because mm -hmm. it's such a difficult process. I think it must be torturous to go through it alone and not have people that you can commiserate with and kind of cheer each other on. I don't know if I would have gotten to this point if I didn't have my friends cheering me on and telling me like, just, you know, write another book and it's, it's going to be it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Those are so, solid friends. Yeah. Um, there's a group of my friends that, I mean, obviously again, pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. we would get together uh, and rent a cabin every year and spend oh. a week just critiquing each other's work. And, you know, we're doing some workshops, like business kind of stuff. And uh, watching terrible movies. <laughs> so, it was it was lovely. It was fantastic. I would highly recommend finding a group of people yeah. that are like, you know, at or above your same level and are serious about it and, you know, trying the same things you are. It's, it's just invaluable. Yeah. And it's, you know, right now, I, I do think for given what's going on with the um, pandemic and uh, physical distancing guidelines and ideas and things like that. You know, it's it's not the perfect moment to be in, 
um, not encouraging because encouraging is great, but for a lot of people, it won't be a good choice for them to try to go out and find humans to gather together with. But I think the Twitter writing community has actually maybe filled in some of that gap and seems to be fairly um, positive and quite encouraging. What, what's your experience with the Twitter community? Well, I, I find the Twitter community to be, to be great. I, I do know that uh, sometimes it can be toxic depending. Uh, I know YA tends to have a little more drama. Mm, yeah, fair but, point. <laughs> but I mean, I've, I've yeah. found it really great just like connecting with um, writers who also have books coming out. I love like, boosting um, books that I've had the good fortune to read that I've really loved. Yeah. Um, and just kind of having a little conversations around um, writing and what's worked for people. I think that sometimes you can lose a lot of nuance in yeah. the number of characters that Twitter allows you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think it's you a think? medium for in-depth <laughs> conversation. I would recommend that those kinds of conversations be held in person rather than over Twitter. Yeah, and um, I, yeah Zoom's nice for that. Zoom is nice. Um, but I do think it's a good place to at least initially connect with people. And you have to, you know, I think it's really good to just um, remember to ask questions too, because um, I do great in the writing community of Twitter. And when I first went into Twitter, it was actually, I'd gone in a number of years ago. And then I was like, I don't understand this. I'm too old. And I just backed away. Right. And then I decided to go back into it because I think I was listening to a couple. Oh, I know. I was listening to the Manuscript Academy. Have you heard of them? Oh, I have not. Oh, my gosh. Super cool. So anyways, I won't go into too much detail, but you can check them out. The Manuscript Academy. They're amazing. And one thing they have is a podcast that's free to anyone. And then you can become a member and you have to pay money for that level of uh, support. But the podcast was brilliant. And there was a bunch of conversation that talked about Twitter. I was like, oh, I'm going to give this a try. On January 3rd, 2021, I decided to go into the Twitter zone. And three days later, mm, yeah, it went insane. January 6th, 2021, not a fun place to be in the Twitter zone. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I got like uh, you know, hmm, a week later, I'm like, oh, OK, this is really intense. And I decided I'm going to get rid of everyone who's not focused on just writing. And that was the cool thing. I curated my community to only people focused on writing. And you know what? None of them were interested in talking politics. They were just all about writing. And since then, Twitter has been this really positive place to go. I mean, I would highly recommend using the block button with impunity. <laughs> yeah, sometimes there are some people on there that are just there to stir the pot, unfortunately. Yeah, but in general, the writing community is nice. So let's see here for those of us that um, are mm, remembering fondly books that made a huge difference. I was wondering if you actually... Um, had a couple of authors because I mean I love new books I love new writers right now I'm all focused on um, currently publishing women authors of fiction so I'm all over that but sometimes I feel like there's these really beautiful stories that are in, still of incredibly great value but they were published 30 or 25 or whatever years ago and I'm wondering do you have some books that 
really made a difference in your life when you were growing up that you think are amazing that you want to uh, mention or recommend to people? Oh, sure. Uh, my comfort read, which I have uh, on Audible, and I've, I listen to it sometimes when I'm in a new place and I can't get to sleep. <laughs> uh, it's The Blue Sword by Robin McKinley. It is incredible. It's like complete wish fulfillment. It's this uh, awkward girl who, you know, gets finds herself in this other country and discovers she has special powers, of course, and she gets a really cool horse, <laughs> and a cool cat. So, you know, I was all over that. Um, but it's just wonderfully written, too. I, I would highly recommend it. Um, that was very formative for me. Um, the Anne McCaffrey books that we were talking about earlier. Right. Which uh, with, were some of your favorites? Oh, definitely the uh, the Harper Hall ones with Mentally. Yeah. Those were, I mean, <laughs> what more could you ask for? She gets like nine fire lizards. I know. Uh, and, and then like yeah. fulfills her dreams. It's just, uh, after a lot of struggle. It's, right. it's amazing. <laughs> right. And what other, I mean, she, that was a huge world. I mean, that was a big, big world. I have to say, I'm trying to think if there were any books that I didn't like that were based in Pern, even Narilka, you know, and Moretta, which are these like little standalones. It was so cool. She created this world and then she's like, I can play here as much as I want. And she could go sideways and back in time. And I mean, I just thought that was wonderful. Oh, I was obsessed with those books when I was a kid. Definitely. So what's and another was author that dives to mind? Um, I think, well, this is more like a middle grade YA, but, um, Lloyd Alexander's Chronicles of Pridane, like that oh, yeah. was, oh, that was very formative for me. Like the book four, I think it was the Terran Wanderer, like that, because <laughs> all of these fantasy books I've been reading before, um, it was all like somebody's got some kind of special heritage they just don't know about. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's this boy here, he's like searching for his parents. And I feel like the whole message of that book is that it doesn't matter like where you came from, like it more matters, like what you do and who you decide to become. And that right. was like, just blew my mind as a kid. Um, but the whole series is just delightful. Yeah. Uh, you know, what just came to mind for me is because you mentioned um, middle grade is I think one of my one of my go-tos, you know, in middle grade, you have like Nancy Drew, which I never read. And you've got, um, there's there's a lot of sort of standard middle grades from maybe the 70s and the 80s and the 90s or whatever. But I really loved Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. Oh, I loved those too. They were just, and of course, what do you have? You have this incredible fantasy, rich, magical, and then it's, and she makes equal fun of the parents which is good because parents can be very annoying. Those books were great. They just made me feel like I wasn't alone. Yeah, they were so fun too. They were super cool. I can't believe, I, I, there was a lot of times where I would just be like, I couldn't find a new book. I'd be like, well, I'm just going to go grab one of Mrs. Pigglegles. Or, you know, the going back to a book that you've read before, I wonder why it is. Why do you think we go back and reread books? I do think it's kind of a comfort thing because you know what's going to happen and you know how it's going to end. So there isn't that same stress 
<laughs> where you're reading True. a book and you're like, oh my God, like what's going to happen to these characters? And are they going to be okay? Is this character going to die? Like you already know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. So there's that. And then there's also, I think for me, at least an appreciation of the language that I feel like I can maybe pick up on certain phrases that I didn't notice the first time around or the second time around or the third, depending right. on how many times I'm reading it. Uh, right, right. <laughs> or, yeah. or structure or just things like that. Um, but it's definitely, I, I mean, the blue sword is definitely like it's a comfort thing for me. Well, you know, what's interesting is I actually haven't heard of the blue sword before. So I was really sort of hoping you would bring up something that you loved that I'd never heard of and you did. So that gets to be added to my, um, what is it? TBR list to be read. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Robin McKinley is a fantastic author. She's got uh, a whole host of books I would recommend. Good. That's the other thing too, is I really, one of the things that was so great about Anne McCaffrey's world of Pern. And I make this point when I recommend that world to people who have, you know, young, younger kids that are moving into their teen years is I'm like, you know, if they do fall in love, there's like 38 books in this world, you know, you're not going to like love it, love it. And it's all over. Yeah. It takes a while to get through those. It does. It does. So it's nice. Now your world that you've created here, I mean, this is a, this is a complex world. It's a trilogy. Is this the type of world or, and, or are you interested in going sideways, backwards in time, or are you like having a couple other worlds that are already on the back burner waiting for you to get to them? Yeah. So not, I'm not currently planning on going back to this world. Um, I feel like the story is pretty complete after book three. I mean, there is history there and there is, you know, stuff that could potentially be explored Mm -hmm. later on down the line, but I definitely have other worlds and stories that I want to tell. So mm-hmm. probably I'm not going to go back to it. I don't see myself going back to it, but that's a never say never kind of thing. Right. Are you already working on some of those other worlds? Yeah, I've got some stuff that I was pitching to my agent that I'm kind of you know, trying to further develop so we can pitch it to the publisher. Awesome. So what is it? I mean, initially you are out there in the world writing, you come up with your query letter, you send it off, you're, you know, an agent reads it, they're intrigued, but then later you have a relationship with your agent. You have your third, I'm assuming while your, you know, book two is being released, book three is being worked on, the agent's probably like, okay, this is great, but what's coming next? So how does that sort of um, work well, uh, with my agent, I know she likes to be involved uh, earlier on. So mm-hmm. um, basically, <laughs> I, I had, I, sometimes I'll send like uh, a few different ideas that maybe like I can't decide what I want to work on, which is what I did before I wrote uh, The Bone Shard Daughter. I had, I think, I sent like a letter with uh, four or five ideas, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I was like, what sounds good to you? Because I clearly don't know what I'm doing. Oh. <laughs> so that so, was, uh, there were a couple that she really liked and that was one of them. So that's what I went on to write that one. And as far as like next books go, um, I basically kind of threw an idea at her and said, is this crazy or does this sound okay? And she said she liked it. And she asked me some questions. So I was like working with her to kind of develop some of the ideas more so it's to a pitchable state. I've always imagined, and it sounds like you're confirming, that agents are 
more than happy to participate in sort of the development of a writer's career experience rather than just, oh, that's great. We got the book. Is it about developing um, reputation? Is it about just what are you most inspired and excited about? You know, what type of conversations do you have that result in decisions about what to write next? I think that's ideally the kind of relationship that you would want. Um, I know that not every agent works that way. I think most of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that is, those are things that I discuss with my agent as far as like, what should I be working on next? What should I be trying to do here? Um, does this idea sound like marketable? Because that's more her area of expertise than it is mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, really know what people are looking for right now. And she's constantly talking to editors. Oh my gosh. That's a great point. Yes. That whole, because we're like, oh, go look at the bookshelves at the bookstore that tells you what's being published. But in the industry, they already know what's actually going to be coming out over like the next 18 months. So they're seeing into the future and they may see trends that we don't see on the bookshelf. Right. Exactly. Oh, right. And then I guess there might be like, um, someone might say, well, I want to jump over here and do a historical fiction and then jump over there and do a mystery. And if you are jumping around too much, maybe that affects the ability to sort of develop um, a consistent audience. Yeah, I think the general consensus is that you want to remain in one genre for a while because oftentimes readers are not going to follow you to another genre. <laughs> so right. you want to kind of develop your career down that path before you start jumping around or anything. Interesting. Interesting. So did you go to any um, conferences before the pandemic? Were you, I mean, it sounds like you did lots of socializing with your writing community in your local areas. Have you ever done any of the big uh, expos or get togethers? Um, Yeah. I mean, I've gone to Worldcon a few Mm -hmm. times, which has been really great. Um, I kind of think of it at this point as like a reunion (laughs) where I get to go and see my friends. Um, And I've done some local conventions and I've done one local writing conference. Uh, I'm planning to do some more uh, this upcoming like fall, winter, uh, but just for, you know, ones where you require masks and things like that. I'm like not interested in getting COVID at this point. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. And it, well, the world changes and we, um, well, that's sort of, right. Right. But you know, that's interesting because that's an interesting segue into some of the themes that you bring up and your incredibly fun and interesting fantasy here. Um, because there's humans in here and humans do seem to have enduring themes in their lives. These things that we're sort of trying to figure out. And one of them, I think that you mentioned was there's like, in a way there's a devil's bargain. I think was, I wrote it down. That's how you referred to it where, um, characters are having to decide, you know, am I getting enough back for what I'm, you know, giving and stuff like that. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. So basically this uh, empire was created um, way back when the civilization was a little bit different and there were these people called the Alanga that existed here and they had magical powers and were destroying things. So the emperor's part in this is that he is allegedly keeping the Alanga from returning. Ah. Um, 
And part of what he does is that he takes a shard, a bone from every citizen, and he keeps it in his vault and he uses these to power these constructs. So there are these um, like war constructs and spy constructs and bureau- bureaucracy constructs and then trade constructs. There's mm-hmm. four different types. So cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, like, <laughs> so they help him to run the empire. And uh, at this point in time, it's been so long since anybody has been in Alanga. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like, well, why are we still doing this? Mm-hmm. And is this person even telling the truth anymore? Like, we don't, we don't remember what it was like back then. And, you know, history and stories will change throughout time from what the original truth was. So at the start of the story, people are starting to feel like maybe this isn't the sort of bargain that we should be making because not only do some of the children die when they take a shard of bone, because they take it from the skull. Mm-hmm. but when their shard goes into use in a construct it fully drains their life so they have a slightly shortened lifespan as a result oh wait so so does that because does that mean that like all of the bone shards are categorized by when they were taken and then you're using the oldest bone shards because when you use a bone shard whoever it came from is going to essentially die well, I mean, they can use it from a younger person. Um, but then you kill a younger person. Well, you're not going to kill them. It, oh, okay, it, so explain more about it, that. It, so it eventually does, so it, it drains some of their life. And eventually what happens is these people become shard sick is what they call it. Oh. Uh, where they basically, they die like a little bit earlier than they would have otherwise. Because sure. some of their life has been used to power this construct. Wow. And, and so some, I would imagine some probably have sort of that feeling of, of pride and patriotism and they've done their part and, you know, they feel like, you know, really good about themselves. Um, and then others, maybe if they're doubting, for example, whether these evil bad guys still exist out there, they may be a little bit more resistant to the cost. Right. So there's this whole rebel, uh, like rebellion of people that call themselves the shardless few and they've been trying to stop these tithing festivals where they take the bone shards from happening Mm -hmm. interesting and and wow okay so in the um bone shard daughter you introduce us to this world and then the bone shard emperor is coming out so can you um, tell us a little bit about like maybe the cliffhanger we were left with at the end of the bone shard daughter and then without giving anything too big away, give people a sense of what's coming around the corner on November 9th. I think it is when the bone shard emperor is going to be released both as an ebook and um, a hardback, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so where are we going? Because some of, some of our listeners here, some folks who are listening in right now may have already read the first book. Okay. Well, if you've already read the first book, so <laughs> stop here. If you haven't read it, you don't want to know. Ooh. Um, oh, wait. Ooh, that's actually a fairly good point. Ah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Actually, people just spoiler alert, like for the next minute, she can talk about something that if you haven't read book one, maybe turn the volume down. Go. Okay. So for the next minute, uh, Lynn uh, ends up killing her father and taking his place as emperor. 
Uh, Jovis makes his way to the center of the empire. He does not find his wife, um, finds out that she has uh, died and becomes actually um, Lin's head of the Imperial Guard. Oh. Um, and Falu and Renami work out their relationship problems. <laughs> so there's these intertwining storylines where you've got um, some of them meeting up in the first book. And the second book, um, they are um, obviously more close together. Mm-hmm. Lynn has to Don't give away too over. much, book two. Right. She has to take over from her father. But right. unfortunately, um, you know, her father's left this empire that people are uh, in a lot of conflict. Right. And, you know, since everybody believes that she is her father's daughter, this is something that she has to deal with and try to uh, win people over. And that's your minute. And that's our minute. (laughs) Hi, everybody who just came back. (laughs) And if you you eventually want to hear that, you can go to marchtwisdale.com, check the podcast, Find Andrea Stewart's um, interview there, and you can listen to this anytime you want. So if you're driving down the road and you're listening on your car radio and you have to leave us before the interview's all over or you miss the beginning of it, you can always go forever, 24-7-365 to marchtwisdale.com and listen to the whole thing there. Also, um, Andrea, we're going to have your bio there, which will include links to like your website and make sure people know how they can learn more about you and your writing, correct? Right. Excellent. Brilliant. And oh, you do or do not have a title for the third book? I'm blanking on the answer to I that question. I do have a title for the third book, uh, and then it's been approved, so it's official. Uh, it oh. is the Bone. It's the Bone Shard War. Oh, you didn't tell me that earlier. Hi, I felt bad. I thought I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> the Bone Shard War. Well, yes, that would that sort of suggests a culmination to a situation. Right. I mean, you can kind of see a little bit of the escalating stakes in the title. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So just think of yourself, you know, 10 years ago. and And now you're here. 10 years ago, you know, it's like, um, do you think, I don't know, I don't want to say like, did you really believe in yourself? Because that's sort of weird, because obviously you did. But just think about how, you know, if you could go back and tell yourself 10 years ago, guess what's going to happen? I mean, you know, what would that be like? I don't even know, my gosh. I, you know, I thought that eventually I would get published. I didn't think that I would get this big of a book deal that would allow me to quit my job. (laughs) It's a little bit funny because even right now, uh, you know, we're in a pandemic. So sometimes this feels not quite real. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I see like people talk about it online, but um, I don't see anybody really. (laughs) I'm pretty isolated at the moment. Right. I don't know what I would say. My gosh, I would probably tell my younger self that, hey, there's a pandemic coming. But I don't know if I would believe that either. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, you, no, don't. Because it's coming anyways. <laughs> and you don't. We wouldn't want to have eight years of, of worrying about it. You know, right? Actually, no. If the world's going to end in like 12 years and someone figures out a time machine and they can come back and let us know, just don't. <laughs> I'm the terrible person that always wants to know. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess, okay, of course, the other side of that is that if we all knew the world was going to be hit by an asteroid in 12 years and know there's no way to stop it from happening, 
I guess we'd all start valuing things a little differently. Maybe. I mean, you wouldn't be worrying about saving for your retirement so you can, you know, go out on a cruise ship three times a year in 25 years from now if that wasn't going to happen. So I would oh, that's be- true. Yeah, it'd be an interesting sort of like, um, ooh, that just would be such a fun story, actually. You if- should write it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got my other story to do first, but I'm going to keep this one. <laughs> time travel. Time travel offers some really interesting questions. It does. I don't know if you've read Ted Chang, but he no. addresses, oh, he addresses uh, some time travel stuff in his um, latest uh, collection. And how do you spell his name? Uh, it's Ted uh, Chang, C-H-I-A-N-G. Uh-huh. Got it. He writes the most amazing short stories. They're um, incredible and mind-blowing. They're on like every list. So now you've done short stories too, right? I have. Yes. You know, ah, tell me what the beauty is of short stories, because I, as you can tell from Anne McCaffrey and my other relationships with characters and books, I'm sort of like, um, I like to go deep and I like to have long drawn out relationships with characters, so to speak. And short stories for me are almost painful to even start because I feel like I'm It's sort of like, imagine if you went on a first date with someone and you fell madly in love and you were never going to see them again. Like, ow. I I feel like short stories are a very different medium from novels. It took me a while to figure that out because I wrote novels first before I wrote short stories, actually. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you can be a little bit more experimental in a short story than you can in a novel. Mm, Sure. Uh, it's like a shorter space, and I think sometimes people are a little bit more willing to follow you along for a strange ride. Well, it makes <laughs> sense. You're not committed. You don't have to tie things together later. Right. Uh, and it's like, I kind of enjoy how concise it is sometimes, where you can go in and explore an idea and then get out and you're done, right? Right. <laughs> Whereas with a novel, you've got these intertwining storylines and you know, this three-act structure. And right. It's just, <laughs> I mean, you still have a three-act structure generally in a short story. It's going to be a way more compressed. Okay, okay. Uh, so a novel is like a marriage and a short story is like um, a summer, um, you know, like um, a boyfriend or girlfriend you have over the summer. And flash fiction is like a one-night stand. Yes. <laughs> But I mean, there's there's value to all of this. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I actually like flash fiction because I'm protected from caring enough in a way because I know it's going to be fast, so I go in prepared, and then it's just like this massive ultra stake moment, and and you're just like you're in it, and then, (sighs) yeah, yeah. I mean, flash fiction has made me cry before. Um, There's if you were a dinosaur, my love, by Rachel Swirsky that just sent me into tears like it, it was very unexpected too I you know you're just reading it along and you're like oh what a nice little story <laughs> then by the end you're sobbing so. oh, no. okay wait so you'll have to email me that name as well and it, I, I don't know we might maybe it'd be fun in your bio like you can choose like three specific things that you would want to recommend and throw them in at the end of your bio or something that yeah sure fun. 
Yeah. Okay, but I want the name of that. If, if you're bursting into tears, then I want I want to check that out. And you know, there's um, I am gonna probably get the title wrong, and it's at home on my bookshelf. But I think it's called the White Book. I'm not okay. absolutely sure, but I think it's the White Book, and it's this little teeny tiny white book. And the maybe it's the first one. I'm not sure, but one of them. I'm just sitting there, and it's like. It is like maybe a 600-word flash fiction. It is very small. And at the end of it, I'm just crushed. I was I was so crushed, I wasn't even crying. Oh. And I'm like, 600 words or whatever it is. I'm like, oh. But I kept it because it's this, this um, example of this phenomenal power. I mean, how did she do that? That's really incredible. I... I don't, I don't know how people manage that. <laughs> I've written, I've written flash fiction. Um, the shortest story I ever wrote was 300 words. Um, and that was for a magazine that was just coming out and they wanted a promotional postcard. Oh, fun. But yeah, it was difficult. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, and sadly we are approaching the end of our time together. And so let's see here. I really, I think we touched upon everything we were looking to chat about. Is there any last thing you want to sort of mention about either? I mean, this this story is, is it's gotten rave reviews for a reason. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention about your experience as a writer or the story itself? Um, I don't know if I mentioned that it is in an Asian-inspired setting. Mm-hmm. Um. I did want to write something that reflected some of my experiences growing up. I'm um, my mom is Chinese and my dad is Scottish and they're both immigrants. Right. And I grew up a lot with my mom's side of the family. And I have so many memories of just like dinners with relatives. And so I just wanted to put some of that kind of stuff into my book. And um, I, I, think I succeeded. There's a lot of food stuff in there. Because it's fantasy. So you can't, you can't actually, you, you can't actually place it. Like I'm um, Shelly Parker Chan, her book, um, She Who Became the Sun. No. Yes. Yes. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm in the middle of reading that and she's too busy working on the next book to be able to interview for this one, but we're going to do an interview before her second book launches. And um, it's like for her, she's, it's his, I guess you could call it historical fiction. So it's, it's literally there in that world. So she gets to depend upon all of that base knowledge. You really are in this fresh new place. So it's quite with intention that you're bringing these elements into this brand new world. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of fantasy that is Western European inspired. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's great. Uh, <laughs> I grew up reading that with the, you know, special farm boy. Um, and I started writing that when I was a kid, too, because I thought that was all that it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to me to be able to write something that reflects myself a little bit more and I feel like um hopefully younger people out there that discover my book will be able to see themselves reflected in it right 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 yeah there's a whole nother world over there on the other side of the pacific 
yeah, I think Asia offers so much. And I'm really happy when I get an opportunity to be brought into that part of my own world. It's very cool. Well, you're going to love talking to Shelly. She's wonderful. Oh, gosh. She's got to be given how she writes. Holy Toledo. Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, so, Andrea, thank you so much for the hard, hard work and dedication that went into creating this really, these are big books. I mean, if someone wants to have fun for like a weekend, The Bone Shard Daughter is it. Yeah, Yeah, and I know the second book is a bit thicker as well. So <laughs> that's what we like, right? You know, everyone's going to be sad when book three comes out, you know, before you even open it, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show here at Prose Poetry and Purpose. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.